Though God does not need us, He loves us. And He wants to be in relationship with us. That's a great thing, great truth. Well, good morning. I am Pastor Joe. Um, if you're visiting with us uh, this morning, we are delighted that you are here. And uh, we would love to connect with you and help you become part of the family here because um, this really is uh, the family of God. And uh, and it has become, in many ways, my family over the last almost now 15 years that I have been part of it. And for many of us here, um, we have close relationships and we love each other and uh, we love doing life together. Um, I want to turn your attention to, um, we're looking at a series on the topic of spiritual maturity. How does a person grow up into maturity in, uh, in faith in Jesus Christ? And as we uh, are doing that, I want to look at one of the essential elements of that, which is the fact that God speaks to us. And so we're going to be in Psalm 19 this morning. So that'll be in the back half of your Bible, or actually the front half, uh, depending on how you look at it. Um, but the older portion of your Bible, at the, at the front part of it, uh, just kind of flop your Bible open to the middle, and you'll probably land somewhere in Psalms. And um, you want to find Psalm 19. Uh, but as you make your way there, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, I know this will make me sound approximately a hundred years old to some of you who are younger than me, uh, but for big chunks of time when my wife Karen and I were dating, we lived at a distance from one another, and in that era, that meant that phone calls, now this is a new thing for some of you younger ones, were what was called long distance, and they were conducted on a land line at somewhere between... 25 cents and 60 cents a minute, depending on whether or not I had a discount calling card to punch in the numbers on the back of. You all remember these, right? Some of you do. And you had to punch in this number and then you could make a phone call and it would be at a discount. Instead of it being 60 cents a minute, it was 25 cents a minute. And that was fantastic. And since I was in love with this woman, uh, my phone bill was almost always at least $100 or more a month at a time when my job paid 200 a month. <laughs> okay, uh, I was in college at the time. I, was, you know, I had a, a college work-study type job, and uh, it was like 200 bucks a month that I made, and I had like 110 in the phone bill. And so what we did, because neither one of us had any money, um, even though she graduated before I did and actually had a, a legit job working for Ernst & Young, uh, but neither one of us had any real money, um, so we would write letters and send cards back and forth to each other, right? And we just had to get all of the words out, right? All of it. We just had so much to say. Um, and so, you know, we wrote pages and pages of letters and cards and so forth. And in between visits and in between phone calls, we would write letters. Now, what do you think happened on the days when a new card or a letter arrived in the mailbox? Well, I can tell you what happened on my end. Uh, I just about wore the ink off the page reading it, right? You would, you would read this and oh, every word you just savor, right? 
And, uh, and I, I saved every single one of those. And so did she. Between us, we have a couple of totes full of these. Not just from when we were early married, but since we've continued that tradition of, of writing cards and letters and so forth, sending postcards from wherever we are if we're separated from one another. Uh, two years of dating, nearly 26 years of marriage. Um, if I ever have to get out of my house in a fire, after we get the people out, guess where I'm going? To my basement to get those totes. And if and if anything happened to them, that would be the thing I would experience the greatest loss in. Amen? Why? Because they these cards and letters and notes and goofy gifts that we gave each other and so forth from all these years reveal our hearts to each other in ways that are irreplaceable. They disclose the secret thoughts and feelings that we had and we have toward each other in ways that cannot be fully known by outside observation. And I bring all this up because I think that it is part of what it being made in God's image is. That we want to disclose who we are at the deepest level to each other. And, you know, a lot of us only have one or two maybe people in our life that we do that. Maybe a best friend, hopefully your spouse, if you have one, is a person that you can lay yourself completely bare in front of and be completely safe at the same time. That's the idea, right? That's what you hope you're getting when you get married, is a person with whom you can be completely transparent and completely safe at the same time, to be fully known and fully loved. And that reflects, I think, the image of God in us. Because here's the reality. God loves us, His children. And He in the same way, to a much greater extent, actually, longs to be known by us and to be loved by us in return to his love for us. And that brings us to Psalm 19, which is all about how God has revealed himself to us and about how God's revelation to us provides us with the way to know and to love him. So if you're able, I invite you to, to, um, to stand with me as I read Psalm 19. And this is what the Word of God says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and who loves to make yourself known to us that we might know and love you as you know and love us. Father, I pray this morning as we look at your word that you would help us to love and enjoy you through your word. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, this psalm, if you look at it in in detail, uh, reveals that there are two very powerful ways that God speaks to us. And verses 1 to 6 are about God's powerful speech to us delivered through His creation. Now, you know, a lot of you know we've got our wild game feast coming up. And and I'm one of the ringleaders behind that um, little bit of festivity around here, and I love that. Um, I love to be out in God's creation. I also love to eat some of the tasty portions thereof, right? Um, but I, I love to be out in the woods and to see the sun come up. Or if you get out early enough and you look in the right spot in the sky, you can see Venus, or you can see Mars, or you can see Jupiter off in the night sky. Those bright stars that we see are actually planets and you go oh that's so cool and you look and you see the amazing creation of God and the psalmist says that if you look at the sun and the moon and the stars that what you're seeing is God's handiwork And you're seeing and knowing some important things about him. Verse 2 of the psalm says that day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. And that even though there are no words or language, you know, the stars and the moon and the sun do not talk, right? Um, if um, If you see them talk to you, see your doctor. Right? <laughs> you probably have something going on. Right? They don't talk. But nevertheless, they speak. Because there's no place on earth, no matter how remote, where God's speech to us in these things is not heard. And what they reveal to us about God is something of the glory of God. And so the psalmist here talks poetically about the sun coming up and shining, being like a groom on his wedding day. And it mentions uh, a, a groom emerging from his chamber. And the idea here is this. Uh, when, when Jewish men in the, in, in the ancient world got married, what they did 
Uh, now, ladies, you probably won't want to emulate this, but what they did was they built on a room onto their father's house, right? And then they went and got their bride. Does any of this imagery sound familiar? And Jesus says, in my father's house or many rooms, right? It's because you and I are the bride, right? And we're going to be brought one day to the father's house and where we will live with the father forever if we're believers in Jesus, right? But on this day, on the day of your wedding, what you did, having got your chamber ready, you went out and you went to the bride's house and brought her back to your home where you would have the wedding. And so on, on that day, how do you imagine the groom comes out of his room that he has built? <laughs> right? Big smiles. He is going to get the girl he loves, right? Rejoicing all the way. And... and the psalmist here poetically speaks of the sun as being that way, that every new day as the sun comes up is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber because there is immense radiance to it, right? Uh, or like an elite athlete running his course as the, as the sun goes across the sky, right? Nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. What do these things tell us about God? Well, they tell us, first of all, that God is big. Far bigger than we can imagine. And in fact, that He is vastly powerful. Do you realize that 25,000 of our earth will fit inside the sun? Our earth is 25,000 miles in circumference, but 25,000 of our earth fit inside of the sun. And our sun is just a medium-sized star in a universe full of billions of stars, both smaller and larger. What kind of God creates that kind of stuff? A big and powerful one. Amen? far more powerful than we can even get our arms around. And we also know that God is orderly. If you observe the creation, you know there's an order to it, right? The stars don't crash into one another. They move in an orderly circuit through the heavens. And you can watch, you can watch the earth tilt and turn according to the seasons of the year. You can, uh, you can tell what time of year it is by looking at where the constellations are in the sky. There's, there's an order to creation. And the God who makes an order to creation is an ordered being. Amen? He also must be incredibly intelligent. I can't even do the math that, that is involved. In, never mind, I don't, I mean, my daughter can probably understand it, but I, I'm kind of lost in the woods, right? As soon as we got the alphabet involved, I got into the weeds in a hurry, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, wait, we, we, we went from numbers to letters. What happened? <laughs> and, uh, I, and you understand what I'm saying? 
And yet God has designed all of this stuff in tremendous intricacy from the biggest stars down to the tiniest subatomic particles. God has designed it all. What kind of God does that? A God of vast intellect. And we can look at these things and realize that they're a magnificent cause that demands a mag an even more magnificent I mean, a magnificent effect that demands an, an even more magnificent cause. Amen? That, that if these things are the result, then the God who made them must be in just incredible in His glory. But we can know all those things about God, but we can't know Him personally through them. To know Him personally... What we need are more than the wordless pronouncements His creation makes to us. What we need is direct revelation coming to us in words that we can comprehend. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we have. One of the most shocking things imaginable is that a, a being who is that powerful, that uh, smart, I mean, it just seems dumb even to use a word like smart when talking about God, right? It's not a big enough word. But a God with that kind of vast power and intelligence wants to communicate with you and me and does. Where does he do so? In the pages of his word. In this book. And what you have here in this book, and I have to think, you know, the, the reformer uh, John Calvin said it this way, that in the scripture that God baby talks to us. Okay? Like, you know, when you had little kids, we had four of them at one point. They're now giants. But, um, but when we had little kids, what, how do you talk to a, a little infant? You kind of go, say dead, right? And you kind of, you know, you're trying to get the kid just to make sounds that sound like words. And then you get really excited and eventually they start to learn how to talk and so forth. And it's very exciting. And, but in a sense, because of the vast intelligence of God, he has to massively condescend to us to speak to us. And so in a sense, I think Calvin is right that he baby talks to us in the scripture. He puts who he is in terms we can understand. And he does so here. Uh, what you have in these verses, verses 7 through 14, uh, are six basically synonymous terms uh, for God's word there in verses 7 through 9. And there are some nuances or shades of meaning between them. But basically, as you look through here, what it says, the law of the Lord, uh, that's equal to the testimony of the Lord, which is equal to the precepts of the Lord, which is equal to the commandment of the Lord, which is equal to the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, etc. Uh, all these terms identify Scripture as coming from God. Even though God has chosen to work through human authors to make himself known, and connected to each of these terms are six characteristics that God's word possesses, and those characteristics are each tied to a blessing that God's word 
gives that corresponds to it for those who respond appropriately to God's word. And so we read, for example, that God's perfect law revives our soul. Anybody, don't raise your hand, but anybody feeling spiritually dry or depressed or just tired of life as it is? God's Word revives your soul and gives you hope that renews your life that this is not all there is. And this life is not always going to be like this. His Word renews our soul. The Lord's testimony is sure. It can be relied on on all in all circumstances. You can always trust what God's Word says. And because of that, you can grow in wisdom. Anybody else feel like it would be nice if, God, if, uh, if life came with an instruction book? Right? Guess what? It does. It's in here. And you can rely on it. And you can trust it. And you can follow it and experience God's blessing. Not only and not only have a life that is morally good, but also enjoyable in the practical sense, too. In addition to that, God's precepts are right, rejoicing the heart. Believe it or not, obeying God's word will make your life joy-filled. It will not suck all of the fun out of your life. That is what most people think. But in reality, God's Word does not present you with burdens to bear, but with pleasures to experience. If you follow it. His commandments are pure, enlightening the eyes. As you respond to God's Word, you look past the deceptions of Satan and the culture created by sinners and your own sinful heart, and you see clearly and see life as it really is. See life as it really is. And reverence for the Lord lasts forever because there's nothing defiled or impure in His Word. And finally, verse 9, His rules are not only true and speak the truth to us, but they are also fully righteous, fully just in what they require. And so there's, there's a, a blessing attached to every part of this. You know, I know that most of you have grown up in church or spent a lot of time in church and, and, and you don't realize what life is like outside of growing up as a Christian or maybe living um, as one for a lot of your life or you've forgotten. But life undirected by God's Word 
is a wonderful experience in bloodying your, bloodying your toes repeatedly. Uh, stepping on rakes at every opportunity, right? Because your wisdom and your uh, is not sufficient and your sinful nature will lead you astray more often than not. And all of a sudden you go, man, I wish I could figure out life. Why is everything in my life so painful? And it's because God has given us in His Word not only a guidebook, but a way of knowing Him. And as we know Him and as we follow Him, our life is not all of a sudden fixed completely, but we have direction and wisdom and joy replacing a lot of the pain and anguish that and self-inflicted self-destruction that we otherwise endure. There is great blessing in God's Word. And because of these manifold blessings and characteristics, verse 10 tells us that God's words to us in His Word are more desirable even than a lot of gold and sweeter than the freshest honey that drips off the comb. Because after all, what is wealth compared to knowing God and living a good and enjoyable life according to His commands and under His blessing? That kind of life is sweet not just for a minute, like honey on your tongue, but something you get to savor every day of this life and for every moment and every second of eternity. Y'all, sometimes I think about Jeff Bezos. Think about this. Here's a man had $150 billion. Okay? To put that in perspective, a million dollars goes into a billion a thousand times. So 150,000 million is what we're talking about. More than I have in my sofa cushions, all right? A lot of money. There is nothing in the world you can't buy on that level of income and assets. Nothing. You'd like to go to the Rake Museum? in Amsterdam and buy uh, Rembrandt's The Night Watch, you can probably come up with a, a price that they will agree to on $150 billion. There's nothing you can't buy. You want to buy, you want to buy Tesla? I don't mean the car, I mean the company. You can probably get it done. Right? There's nothing you can't buy. His wife is in the process of divorcing him. Most expensive divorce in the history of the world, right? And I'm like, what kind of a what kind of a person must he be that 150 billion dollars is not sufficient to keep her in the house? Right? I tell you what kind of a person kind of person who has ignored the commands of God's Word. 
because they are more desirable than even great wealth. Because you can have all the money in the world and it will not make you happy. You can have sufficient to buy and sell the world's wealthiest people ten times and it won't make you happy. But a life after God, a life of pursuing Him, knowing Him, walking with Him, obedient to His Word, will fill your life with joy if you've got two nickels to rub together. It will. And in addition to these blessings, God's Word gives us warnings and related to that, protection. And again, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may not notice the extent to which you're being protected, but heeding the warnings of God's Word saves you from a lot of heartache and pain. A lot of heartache and pain. I remember the guys I went to high school with, and, you know, I was... I was a guy that was committed to walking with God back in high school, and they told me, you know, you're going to miss out on all the fun. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you know, I mean, we're like going to go get absolutely plastered this weekend together. And, you know, we're going to try and hook up with some girls, and it's going to be a great time, and all this kind of thing, right? And I'm like, well, I hope you have fun. Enjoy. Right? 20, well, 30 years later? I'm older than I think sometimes. Got to do the math. Um, 30 years later, I think about where those guys are, and I think about how God has blessed my life, and I go, I wonder if any of them would trade now. That a lot of them would. But you know what? I wouldn't make the swap. I wouldn't make the swap. God's word has saved me from a lot of heartache, a lot of pain. Some of those guys are on their third marriage. I'm still with the original girl that I started out with. She still likes me, wonder of wonders, <laughs> right? I don't know what's more shocking. <laughs> um, but, but nonetheless, God's Word has saved me from a lot of heartache and a lot of pain, right? That's why in verse 12 and 13, the psalmist asked the Lord to protect him from, from both kinds of sin. Verse 12, he asked for God's protection from hidden sin. Now, hidden sin here doesn't mean the sin that we know is sin that we're keeping hidden. He means the sin we're unaware of. Right? Because believe it or not, we can be into stuff that we don't know is a problem. And when we're like, oh, 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 and we all of a sudden realize when we experience the effects of it that what we were into actually was sin. And we go, oh, shazam. Uh, that's why the, my life is hard right here at this particular spot, right? And and so the psalmist says, Lord, protect me from hidden sin, from the stuff I'm not aware of yet. Because God in His grace doesn't just drop a, an awareness of every 
area of our life that's flawed at the moment we become a believer, right? He gradually unpacks that with us. He says, protect me from hidden sin. But also, he says, keep me back from presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin is the idea of sin where you know what you're doing. And you just and you go, well, I've decided I'm doing this anyway. Right? It's what the Old Testament refers to as sin with a high hand. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. It's where your kid looks at you and says, well, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> right? And you, or I'm gonna do, or I'm not gonna do it, and you can't make me. And you're like, mm, I'll take that bet, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Do we sin that way sometimes? Yeah. I remember sitting in an office one time with a guy, not at this church, but with a guy at this church, uh, at, at the church we were part of at the time, uh, where I was serving in ministry, and this was a guy who had eight kids high school and younger, and he um, sat in the office as we were confronting over the affair he was having with a woman that he met at work, and we said, dude, you need to make a different decision than this because God is not going to bless your life while you're engaged in this, and he said, well, I know that it's sin, but I've decided to do it anyway. And we were kind of like, well, you can't do that while you're uh, a member at the church, and so if you're going to continue down this road, you have to have your membership revoked. And he's like, well, that's fine, because I've decided this is what's going to make me happy. And we were kind of like, good luck with that. Let us know how it goes. Right? About two years later, it was kind of, he came back to us, and he told us it didn't work out well. Right? <laughs> We were not shocked to find that out, right? Uh, eventually, he did repent by God's grace and was restored even to membership in the church as he got his life squared back away. But that's the kind of thing that he's talking about, presumptuous sin. But we have presumed on the grace of God. And that's a very dangerous place to be. But the psalmist is also concerned about stuff he's not even aware of yet. He says, God, protect me from both of these things. Protect me from the sins that are a result of my own stupidity uh, that I just don't know are sin and protect me from the ones that are a result of my stupidity that I do know is sin and I've decided to go ahead with. Protect me from these things. Sin is not really worth it. It has a high cost. Not only to our walk with God, but to our own soul and to our relationship with other people. And so even though it's counterintuitive to our sin-tainted way of thinking, when we yield ourselves to God's Word, we not only deepen our love for its author, we also experience wild and crazy amounts of blessing that far outpaces any satisfactions that sin might deliver to us in the short run. And so that brings us to the conclusion here of this psalm. Uh, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
And this is a beautiful, prayerful request that the blessings of God's Word, His speech to us, would so transform His thinking that all of the words coming out of His mouth would be words that reflect God's Word. And so that all of the thinking of His brain might imitate thoughts emanating from God, which He has expressed to us. So this is a plea, if you will, for transformation. For spiritual maturity in mind and mouth as we know and worship God. So, looking back over this psalm, what we see here is a celebration of the fact that God is a speaking God. A God who speaks loudly, though without words of His power and glory and intelligence and order and sovereign rule in the creation, but speaks with much greater clarity about how to know and love and obey and be blessed in a relationship with Him through His Word. It is highlighting for us the amazing fact that the same God who is so vastly powerful that He makes all things in creation, that He condescends to relate to us and has done so through a written word in a book given to us in words that we can understand. If you'll forgive me the irreverence, the Scriptures are God's love letter to us. They're disclosing His heart to us that we might know and love Him and be protected from harm in relationship with Him. And the point of this passage is to remind us all of this great truth that we enjoy our relationship with God and we grow in spiritual maturity by responding positively to God's Word speaking to us. You know, every now and then you see people, you know, post something online or whatever, and they're like, I just wish I could get some direction in life. You know, some kind of a sign, um, you know, that they, and this a lot of times in, in contemporary terms, they talk about that the universe would give me a sign or whatever, right? Or sometimes Christians will even say, well, I just wish I could get a word from God. Like you're in luck. <laughs> we have one, right? Open your Bible. It is there, right? A lot of these same people that look for answers from the universe or from God are looking with their Bible shut. We don't want to be among them. So I want to ask us all some probing questions about the place of God's Word in our lives. This is essential, men and women. Essential. If you want to grow up to look like Jesus who saved you, you have got to spend time in God's Word. So let me ask you some questions. Number one, do you regularly set aside time to read your Bible? Or do you perhaps find yourself looking for it each week before you head out for church? Where did I put that? It was around here somewhere. Right? 
you have time regularly in your Bible. I'm not talking about a devotional book or uh, something like that that uses a little bit of the Bible. I'm talking about opening up your Bible itself and reading it as a regular habit of life. I'm not against devotional books. I think they're good. I think they're helpful in many circumstances. I'm talking about a regular habit, though, of taking in God's Word undiluted, straight, no chaser, no ice, right? Undiluted. Do you have a habit of reading God's Word? If you don't have a habit of doing that, I want to challenge you to get into God's Word because the more that you get into God's Word and get it into your heart regularly, the easier it will be to grow to maturity in Christ and to look more and more like Jesus and to have God's thoughts become your thoughts and your, and your way of behavior imitate His. The converse is also true. That it, the, more, the less time you are in God's Word, the less time uh, the, and the, the, the longer it will take you to grow and the more time it will take uh, to have your thoughts become God's thoughts. Okay? Uh, second question. How do you respond to God's Word when you read it or hear it preached? The psalmist here responds by praying for God's protection from sins that are hidden and from his awareness uh, and, from, and from sins that he knows he's committed. And he further asks that God might conform his soul to God's soul, that he might joyfully reflect God's own character in his life, that he might experience true godliness. But it's easy for us to confuse knowledge and obedience. A lot of us do that. I do that sometimes. Where we come to a passage that we're, of Scripture that we're very familiar with and we say to ourselves, or maybe even out loud, I know this. Right? And what we mean is, I intellectually understand what is being said here. We know what we should do. We know how we should respond. Sometimes we're not actually, in fact, doing it. And we get knowledge and obedience confused. James says it this way, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. It's a good word for all of us at all times. Amen? Especially those of us who have known the Lord for a long time, know our Bible's content pretty well. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Deceive yourself into thinking that you're obeying everything you know, in other words. How do you respond to God's word? And then last question. Do you find joy in God and in his commands to you? One of the things that is characteristic of both this psalm and of spiritually mature people is finding joy in God's Word. Remember me talking about 
getting a love letter from Karen and just reading it and reading it and wearing out the ink on the paper, right? Is your Bible like that? Are you wearing out the ink on the paper from reading it and taking it in like a love letter, hungry to know more of the person who penned it to you because he loves you? You find joy in God and in his commands to you. These things are part of growing to be spiritually mature. These things are essential for that. Learning to find joy in God and in his word to you because it is the word of a person who loves you supremely and wants the best for your life and relationship with him. Amen? So, ponder that while we pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would love you and love your word. Father, in your word, you disclose your soul to us. You make yourself known to us. And you, you tell us not only about what kind of person you are, but also what kind of people we are and how to relate to you how to know you and walk with you, how to put away sin and walk in joy. Father, we learn how to live life in a way that, that matters and that counts and that's joy-filled even when life is hard. Father, help us to love you and to love your word to us that we might know you more and more and over time, come to look more and more like you. And Father, we ask your blessing on each person here. And Father, we also pray that if there's anyone here who's never put their trust in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would recognize that they are a sinner who has wandered a long way away from you. And that beyond that, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins to bring them into relationship with you. Father, I pray they would believe that message and come to know you and experience the joy of walking with you. And Father, I pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Can I do this one more?